to C3 Church Queens Beach podcast. We're so glad you could join us. Today, we pray as you hear from our special guest that you'll be inspired to live your best life. It's so good to be with you and to share this message. And as I look around, there's a few people I haven't seen for a long time, so hopefully we'll, we'll catch up afterwards. Yeah, great. Uh, have you ever watched kids play sport? Yes. And I'm not really talking about like your 10, 11-year-olds. Let's go right back to five-year-olds. And I can remember my son Jake playing Auskick for the very first time. And it's so cute. Boys and girls in shorts that almost go up to their ankles. Yeah. And they're playing around. And uh, whoever's leading the particular uh, team, for us it was uh, Wembley Downs Cats. And, you know, they'll bring them all together. All these boys and girls are all in lines because they're all got their own team. And then one of the parents will take that particular team, and, and obviously at that age, there are no tactics, there is no, <laughs> no game plan, right. but the intention is let's, let's have some zones. Before we play, we're going to have some zones, so you, know, you, 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 and you, you're in defence. I don't want to be in defence. It's okay, it's okay. In time, you'll be in the midfield, and then you'll be in the forward. Okay, okay. Now, in defence, your main, what you have to do is try and prevent the other team scoring a goal. Okay, okay. Now, if they do score a goal, it's okay. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, you, 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 you're in the middle. Now you're going to get the ball a lot, and your aim is to try and kick the ball to the forwards, and they're going to kick a goal. But if it gets intercepted, it's okay. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you, 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 you're in the forward line. Yeah, forward line, you get to kick goals. Okay, so that's how it all works out. And so all of a sudden the siren goes, or the whistle goes, and something mysterious happens. <laughs> The, the instruction of a coach just goes out and all of a sudden, all of these players from both teams just go, they just form this one huddle following the ball. Kick it to me, kick it to me. Kick. And it's just, you know, they're all this far apart and it's just like this. It's just so hilarious. The parents are laughing. The coach is going, yeah, whatever. Because you can sum up kids' sport with one word, fun. Oh, great. It's just about fun. And at the end of the game, uh, there are no winners, although when I take Jake home, you'd say, we won. Say, what do you mean you won? Oh, we won 26 to 5. No, no, no. Everyone's a winner at the age of five. No, Dad. We won. Okay. So it's all about fun. Yeah. Unfortunately, that wasn't my first experience of team sport. Oh. I would have been about Jake's age, living in Sydney at the time, and it was soccer. I've never played soccer before, but I don't know really. I don't can't remember if I received an invitation from a friend, but anyhow, I, I joined the, the local soccer team. It was autumn, it was a Saturday morning. In, in the 60s, there was no Sunday sport. It was always on a Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that Sunday was seen as a Lord's Day or something mysterious like that. <laughs> anyhow, it was Saturday morning, and the best part about me playing soccer for the very first time was my dad was there to watch me. Oh, now, wow. you might think... Uh, isn't that what dads do? Well, my dad had a challenge at that stage that I didn't know about. My father was a pastor, but after a year he had a nervous breakdown and was clinically depressed. He was unemployed, actually unemployable, medication, and my mother was told, your husband will never be able to work again. And so. Oh. He, he's going through his stuff. But as a kid, I didn't know that. I just knew that Dad stayed at home and Mum went to work. I thought that was normal. So anyhow, Dad was there. It was like, wow, 
Dad's going to watch me play. So anyhow, the same drill, no game plan, no strategy, zones and whatever. I don't remember what zone it was. But as soon as the whistle went, these two teams became one team and they're chasing, kick at me, kick at me, kick at me. And just slowly, I walked away because even as a five-year-old, I felt very timid, unsure, and I, it was almost a sense, I don't know what to do. And I don't know if I really belong here. And so the game's going, it's just going backwards and forwards, and ding, 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 kick at me. All of a sudden, this old brown leather soccer ball left the pack and started coming towards me, my worst fear. And so just instinctively, I, I think I closed my eyes and I just did this kick. And thankfully, I actually connected with the ball. The only problem is the ball went out of play. Now, you might think that's no big deal. I didn't at that stage think, well, even professional soccer players kick the ball out of play. But it was almost like I felt exposed mm. as incompetent. Wow. What didn't help was one of the boys from the pack, I don't know if it was my team, their team, why did you kick the ball out? Out, 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 out. <laughs> there was just this sense of I'm standing alone, there's the pack, the two teams, I have made a mistake. And it was almost like the jury was out, these boys, on my self-worth. Wow. I felt immediately I don't belong. Mm. I can't remember the rest of the game, but I did feel exposed as incompetent. Yeah. So I saw Dad at the end of the game, and the worst part was the walk home. Mm. Dad, I know now, but I didn't know then, was silent. And so there was this awkward silence. It's a long walk. We couldn't afford a car at that stage. And in the silence, I broke the silence by telling Dad I quit. I don't want to ever play team sport again. My dad's response was further silence, total disengagement. The problem when a child experiences trauma and the parent or parents don't speak into that, the child in all of our innocence begins to construct their own story. And that was the entry point of shame coming into my life and I began to write a story, it's called a self-narrative, the story we tell ourselves about ourselves and my self-narrative actually became a shame narrative. And even though I didn't articulate at the time, this is what I believed about myself in that moment. Because of Dad's silence, disengagement, I assumed, oh, you felt the humiliation. You felt the embarrassment. No challenge. No, hey, don't quit. I know what it's like to quit. We'll get Danny, your friend Danny. And I, I did have a friend, Danny. He's from England. He plays soccer because everyone plays soccer. <laughs> Why don't we, after school, get Danny to come and do yeah. it? was no challenge, no reassurance, no when I got home saying to mum, you should have seen your son. He kicked a ball. It was so, yeah, but dad, it was out of play. It was still a good kick. All the others had to go, ding, ding, ding. You kicked the ball. It went... So many metres, it was okay, you're okay. No, silence, disengagement. Wow. So that is the, my entry point where I began to construct this shame narrative. Mm. I call this place Shameville. <laughs> and what Shameville is, 
is tormenting inferiority. This sense of not belonging and not being good enough. In fact, for many of you, you could fill in this gap. I'm not blank enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not confident enough. I'm not spiritual enough. And for some pastors, I'm not anointed enough. It's that sense of inferiority. So I came up, my conclusion was this. Rob Mason didn't just make a mistake. Rob Mason is a mistake. Rob Mason didn't just fail. No, Rob Mason is a failure. Rob Mason didn't just quit. No, Rob Mason is a quitter. Mm. That is shame. And what (laughs) happened with that shame and that shame narrative, that this story I told myself day after day, year after year, that made me vulnerable later in life. In fact, it was 2007 that I had my first panic attack in a public place. So here I am, pastoring a church. We've just got a young couple who have been appointed. Some of you may know Derek and Kylie, who eventually planted out of our church. I've got them. um, Karen's with me. Our overseer's with me. We're in an Italian restaurant in Wembley. And in a moment, I ran out of the restaurant because I thought... I was having a breakdown. I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't breathe. My heart is pounding. Long story short, I began to discover that what you're experiencing is a panic attack. Mm. I I was hoping I could just take a tablet and the pain would go away, but basically it meant about 18 months of therapy, of learning to think differently about myself, of learning to, where did all of these... um, voices and beliefs come from and challenge them and learning to think differently and after a period of time it was like okay I'm getting better but then I had another panic attack this time it was on a plane and so that time I I came back and I said I don't care I want to be on medication so basically for the last 10 years of ministry I was doing ministry with a anxiety disorder and panic attacks and for the last Seven years of ministry, I was a medicated pastor. The impact of that is basically all of the things that I enjoyed and found refreshing, such as flying, going on holidays, going to restaurants, going to the movies, even surfing. I've had panic attacks in all of those situations. All of those things that bring refreshment and joy, it was almost like feeling robbed. So shame became a pathway to an anxiety disorder, and then an anxiety disorder became a pathway to an even more intensified shame. So for some of you right here, right now, you are relating to my story of shame because you too are struggling with anxiety, depression, overwhelm, unmanageable uh, stress, and so on. And for others of you going, wow, that's so good for you to share your story. I don't quite get it. But there's so many other shame triggers. Yeah, that's right. For some of us, it's a shame of an addiction. And it may be a very private addiction that no one knows about. It could be gambling. It could be pornography. 
It, it could be shopping. You know, there's nothing wrong with shopping. I don't have an addiction. But just every time that you're feeling unsettled and restless, what do we call it? Retail therapy. <laughs> Eating can be an addiction. Yeah. Food is good. Everything yeah. that God created, he said it's good. But what do we call it? Comfort eating. See, we now have terms that make it socially acceptable, but yeah. for a lot of us, what it's doing is it's trying to numb the pain of shame. It's yeah. a distraction. It's a way of compensating. It's a way of distracting. Yeah. For some of us, it's a shame of unmanageable debt, the shame of bankruptcy, the shame of sexual abuse, the shame of body image, the shame of something you did that you thought was unthinkable, but you've done it, and you know God has forgiven you, you know other people have forgiven you, you just cannot forgive yourself, and so it's shame. And so first of all, my message to you is, if you are wrestling with shame, you are not alone. That's great. Come on. There is hope, yes. and there is a way forward. Come on. So let's just see, where did this shame come from? Let's look at the conception and the birth of shame. Yeah. And we go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Yeah. And reading from the message, Genesis 2, 25, we read, the two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. Mm. It is a description in this Genesis narrative of the first humans, and this is their experience. They are naked, but isn't it interesting? It says they experienced no shame. Yeah. It didn't say they didn't feel guilt. It doesn't say they didn't feel anger. It doesn't say they didn't feel fear. They felt no shame. Mm. Could it be that not only is the earth filled with the glory of God and the Garden of Eden is filled with the glory of God, but could it be that the glory of God was the covering of the man and the woman? Wow. And so there they are in their nakedness. There is no fear of being exposed. There is no fear of ever feeling exploited. For the woman, there was never a sense of ever feeling that the man was trying to dominate. There was no jealousy. There, there was no competition. There was no anger. There was no bit of disappointment. In fact, you could say they are not even self-conscious. <coughs> They're not consumed with self. They're not concerned. Well, Eve didn't say hello to me this morning. <laughs> there was never a sense of Eve saying, Adam, is it just me or are my thighs getting bigger? <laughs> like, they are not self-conscious. They are not self-protective. Yeah. They are living in absolute openness, vulnerability, nakedness, and yet yeah. there is no shame. And it appears from the, this ancient narrative that there were times that not only is the Garden of Eden filled with the glory of God, but they're not familiar with the, the, the glory of God. We will need all of eternity just to get a glimpse of the full glory of God. Yeah. And so could it be that there are times that God would make his way into the garden? It was a sound they heard. It was a sound that brought delight. <gasps> God is coming to manifest more of his presence. Yeah. But in the narrative, something has shifted. Yeah. Something has changed. They hear this rustle, and for the very first time, this part, this primal part of the brain that has never been activated with emotions like fear and anxiety come from, immediately it was activated, and it was like... The presence of God is a threat. Wow. 
you have been exposed or you're about to be exposed, all we can do is hide. And not only hide, we need to now make a covering. We have to cover our nakedness because all of a sudden, for the first time, we are feeling shame yeah. and we are afraid of the presence of God. God approaches the man and he asks the question, where are you? No, this is not the first game of hide and seek. <laughs> Ready or not, here I come. No, God knows everything about everything. Yeah. He knows where they are. It's not yes. a question. It's a statement. Yeah. He wants the man and the woman to hear the question, where are you? It's a statement. Something has shifted. Yeah. Relationally, this is, something has shifted. Why are you hiding? Hiding, and what is that? The fig leaves? But the country road. It's like, no. It's... <laughs> They've been exposed. Yeah. They've covered their shame. Yeah. That is the birth of shame. Yes. And it's interesting, as we look at the Bible, we can look at it as we hear the historical books, and here are the gospels, here are the poetical books, and there's parables, and there's stories, and what have you. But what if just for a moment you saw the Bible... One layer of the Bible is a shame narrative. From Adam and Eve, the shame of nakedness. Abraham and Sarah, the shame of barrenness. David, the shame of adultery. Tamar, the shame of being raped. Israel, the shame of being a slave to the Egyptians, the Babylonians and the Roman Empire. Bartimaeus, the shame of blindness and begging. And Judas, the shame of betrayal that led him to take his own life. Mm. Wouldn't it be interesting to see that the Bible is a narrative of shame? But in a moment, we're going to discover there is a, a far more significant layer, and that is the Bible is also a narrative of grace. Come on. Yeah. So here's the deal. God is still asking the question that he asked Adam and Eve. Where are you? Why are you hiding? It's not a question from a very strict school principal or a judge or a policeman. Where are you? But it's the heart of the Father. Why are you hiding? Let's just take a moment and look at another description of the nature of shame. Shame is a parasite. Now, some of you have travelled, maybe it was holidays, maybe it was some sort of mission work, and you've been to some tropical area, and you've come back home, and you've had some abdominal issues, and we won't go into details how that impacts you. But basically, <laughs> what it means is, oh, sir, madam, you have a parasite. So, oh, gross. There's a little gremlin on the inside. And so I want you to think of shame as a gremlin, as a parasite that has attached itself to you or is actually in you. Now, for a parasite to survive, it needs a host. Yeah. And so what the parasite of shame does, it looks for a vulnerable soul, like a five, six-year-old boy who kicked a ball out mm. and his father was disengaged and silent. And so this boy constructed his own shame narrative that I am a mistake, I'm a failure, I'm a quitter. The parasite attaches, it gets into you. 
and the juice, the source that keeps shame thriving is secrecy. Oh, wow. The first two letters of shame is S-H. Very good. Don't tell anyone yeah. your story. Wow. Don't tell anyone about shame. Don't tell anyone about your mental health. Don't tell anyone about your abuse. Don't tell anyone about your addiction. Keep it quiet. And as we keep it quiet, shame thrives yeah. on the source of secrecy. And see, what we do is we do exactly what Adam and Eve did. We cover ourselves. Now, I don't see yeah. anyone with fig leaves from Country Road. That is wonderful. But there are other <laughs> things that we do to cover. Yeah. Interesting today, isn't it? You ask someone, how are you going? And the first response, oh, I'm busy. Mm -hmm. Busyness can be a covering. Yeah. I'm busy. Busy doing what? Mm -hmm. Busy being what? Is it that we're saying I'm busy, in other words, I'm really important, and that if I just keep busy, I don't, I don't have to be still and think, I don't have to think about shame, that I'm actually compensating and numbing pain by just keeping busy, 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 productive, productive. Interesting, we're actually called human beings, not human doings, yet mm. life is all about do, do, do. Yeah. Second question, we ask someone, what's your name, and then what do you do? And I'm just a, and then we put someone in a box. Oh, you're just a teacher. Oh, you're just a nurse. Oh, you're just a pastor. Uh -huh. Covering. Wealth is a great covering for a lot of people. More, more, more. Greed, greed. Greed is not good. Perfectionism. Any perfectionists out here? Uh, yeah, I feel your pain, and I feel your pain. Because uh, there was a time, I'm a reformed perfectionist, but I have my moments. But there was a time... If, I'm, if life is not going well in ministry and it's messy and chaotic, it's like, well, I've got to have some place control. So when I'm under stress, I go to the pantry. Or oh, not to eat, but to reorganise. <laughs> Which Karen to enjoyed those moments of yeah. my dysfunction. And so she'll come home and there's all the herbs and spices in alphabetical order. Oh. All of the sauces, all the cereals in descending order of size. It was just... Perfect, and it was like here is one part of my life. But really, if you look at perfectionism, it's basically a form of procrastination. Mm. It is a form of covering. It's a form of numbing our pain. Wow. Entertainment. Now, there's something wrong with being entertained, and I'm talking about my upbringing being the, the golden time in the 60s and 70s. But watching a movie was a rare event. Mm. Maybe every couple of weeks we're allowed to stay up on Friday night at 8.30 to watch Bill Collins' Golden Years of Hollywood. <laughs> it was like, wow, we got to watch a movie. Movies are great. Once a year, once every couple of years, we'll get on a red train. In Sydney, they're called the Red Rattlers. And we'll make our way to Parramatta. You probably don't know where it is, but it's very working class. And we'll go to the movies. Yeah. It was a huge event. Sound of music, chitty chitty, bang bang, all of the classics. <laughs> but today with Foxtel and Netflix, nothing wrong with entertainment. But now we have the accessibility. Now we have a way of, oh, I've got to deal with my shame, got to deal with my brokenness. I'm just going to numb myself. I'm just going to go, I'm going to watch a whole season of prison break or whatever, and I'm going to watch the whole season in a weekend. Mm. 
Now that's when you start getting your red ball and you can, yeah, and Monday morning, hey, what do you do? I just watched a whole series of Netflix. It was so good. I am so numb, I'm not yeah. feeling any pain. Wow. Let me throw out something a little bit controversial. Another thing that can cover our pain is religion. Yeah. Wow. Judaism, Islam, <laughs> even Christianity. Especially when we go down the path of it's all about being good. I'm good, they're bad. I'm in or they're out. And it's all about duty, it's all about obligation. If I do, 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 God will love me more. That's religion. And we can even use religion to numb our pain. So what? this is the way forward. Number one, we take a risk, we become vulnerable, and we remove the covering. We remove the fig leaves. We remove all of these props. And then we put on a new covering. Mm. And we now go from the Genesis narrative to the crucifixion narrative. And it's interesting, we we often think that the Romans came up with the crucifixion. They didn't. They just perfected it. (laughs) They found a way of intensifying and prolonging the pain. But then they added another dimension to crucifixion, humiliation. So when we look at the interrogation of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus, we know that, number one, they spat at him. Have you ever had anyone spit at you? Jesus, fully God, fully man, was spat upon by men in authority, Roman soldiers and religious leaders. Not one spit. There's a chance that during the interrogation, his face was dripping with human saliva. Spit, spit, spit. It was all about humiliation. Then they would strike Jesus. They'll pull out some of his beard, slapping, slapping. Again, it's pain, but it's humiliation. Then they would take off his garment. He wouldn't go to a change room. In public, they would strip off his garment and put a fake robe on a fake king. Humiliation again. Mm. And then when he's on the cross, chances are he was either completely naked or maybe, just maybe, he had his undergarment on. Yet first century Jewish culture, it was all about modesty. And so it is still a very humiliating experience to be tortured for about six hours, dying in public, naked. But they didn't just stop there. Mm. What they also added was scorning. If you are the son of God, save yourself. Oh, you can save others. You can't save yourself. You are a blasphemer. People spitting at the cross, cursing him, scorning him. Mm. So it's not just the physical pain. It is the humiliation. Mm. But then we come. To the unknown writer in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and it says, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He scorned shame on the cross. On the cross, the crowd are scorning Jesus to scorn. We don't probably use the word, it means to belittle, to disdain, to humiliate. And yet Jesus on the cross, he disdained shame. 
He humiliated shame. He belittled shame and said, shame off me. I'm speaking to the spirit of shame and I am humiliating you. I am belittling you. And so here's the big picture. We know it's through the blood of Jesus, but let me say the same thing differently. Through the nakedness of Jesus, we have a covering in Jesus. Through his nakedness, enduring the cross, scorning its shame, he's saying, take off the garment, take off the fig leaves, take off that man-made temporary covering and allow me to cover you with me, with my righteousness. (laughs) Don't get stuck in shame. Shame doesn't have to have the last word. Shame off you and grace on you. Shame off you, grace on you. If I'm completely honest, and I will be, And some people, when I share this message, and I appreciate the encouragement, they say, oh, you are so courageous telling your story. And it's like, I appreciate that. But (laughs) you see, when we, remember, shame's a parasite, Mm. vulnerable soul, secrecy. When we share our story, shame cannot coexist with vulnerability and transparency. So I'm going to close in a couple of minutes of telling you where I am right here, right now. I am still vulnerable. I'm still vulnerable with anxiety and panic attacks. At the beginning of this year, having been out of ministry for a couple of years, I talked to Karen and I talked to my doctor and said, I I think I can, I think I'm ready to go off medication. It was like, well... Give it a go. One month, three months, five months, seven months. It was like, whoa, I'm, I'm no longer medicated. I haven't had a panic attack in I can't remember when. We make our way to Sydney to surprise Emily. We knew her boyfriend was going to propose and she had no idea we were there and there we were. You know, he proposed and they meet at a restaurant with some of their close friends. Oh, well, look at my ring. And then we just, out of nowhere, hello. And she broke down and cried. And then we had planned a family holiday. We're all going to Bali. This sense of the last time the four of us are going to be on this holiday. But the plan was, it was a great plan. I said, I'm going to go before you guys. I'm going to have four days on my own. I'm going to continue writing my book called Shame Off You, and I'm going to surf, and I'm going to um, maybe have one corona, and then I'm going to surf more, and surf more, and I'm just going to surf and read and have an amazing time. So I booked the, the taxi, an hour before the taxi arrives, maybe even half an hour, Karen walks in, haven't been for a walk, and said, wow, you must be really excited. And in a moment, I broke down. 
I was terrified of flying. And I was terrified of being alone for four days. Came out of nowhere. And so I'm back on medication. But this is where my narrative is different. There's no shame. I'm still vulnerable. I'm still broken. I'm on a journey. And I love a quote, every step and arrival. Because for a lot of us in pain, with mental health and abuse and all these other, we're hanging out for the destination. I want complete healing. I want the breakthrough. But God is wholly present in the right here, right now. I'm not free yet. But then again, I am. Wow, that's so good. Because I'm covered. And wherever I go without any shame, I can tell my story. And I keep saying, shame off you, shame on you. Let's stand for a moment. In the presence of Holy God, Holy Jesus, Holy Spirit. And on one level, this message relates to all of us. We all, at times, grapple with shame. But I'd like to invite those of you who know that you know that you know Holy Spirit is speaking to you. There's something happening on the inside. There's a wrestle. And I'm going to simply ask you to come forward and just stand along here as music is playing. And I want to say that this is a safe place. This is a sacred place. And I'm going to stand here with you. So if you sense, wow, this message is for me. And I've been carrying shame for way too long. And I want it off. Maybe the trigger of shame might take months or years. But I can tell you from experience, if shame can get on you, it can also get off you very, very quickly. Very, very supernaturally. So come to the front and join me for those who want shame off you. Thank you. Thank you. And the key, one of the keys, awesome. Vulnerability. But with vulnerability and transparency, right now you're already breaking the power of shame. You are going public. You don't have to tell me or tell anyone the details of your shame trigger. All you have to say is, I am wrestling with shame. And you just need to hear the words. They're not my words. The words of the Father who said, where are you, is now saying, shame off you. No more hiding. No more hiding. No more pretending. No more compensating. No more numbing. Just allow me to cover you 
with grace. Let me put a new covering on. It is the covering of righteousness. Shame cannot exist with vulnerability, transparency and grace. Shame off you. Shame off you. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our upcoming events and discover more about us, visit c3quinsbeach.com.au. Until next time, have a blessed week.